moving all of the money over into an IRA and our own IRA that we can control, selling all of those mutual funds, just investing in low-cost index funds. And it gave us the power because we know exactly what's going to work for us. And it's not as hard as everyone makes it seem. You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hello, everyone. I'm Annie Dickerson here with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm just excited. I don't know. I want to jump right into it to talk about the show, the episode we had. It was such a good one. And I feel like just so timely with all that you and I have been talking about. Yeah life and momming and boundaries and all kinds of fun stuff. But yeah. Yes. Well, there's something you mentioned on the show. You kind of just tipped your hat at it. I want you to share this with the listener because Allison, our guest on the show today, Allison, she talks about how your choices around money don't define you. I mean, they are a reflection of who you are. But I know on the show you mentioned in your early 20s, you were learning how to use a credit card. So tell us about that time in your life because everybody knows Julie Lamb as this like real estate mogul, essentially, who knows all this stuff about finance and investing and budgeting. So was there a time in your life when that wasn't the case? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, it was an interesting time. The story that I was taught about money from my mom. And it's funny, my mom and I were just talking about this the other day because we were having a conversation with my girls about money and they were asking something about spending. And I was like, no, the only message you will get from grandma is to save. That's it. There's (laughs) There's nothing beyond that. Spend and save. Spend as you wish on things you really love and find a way to save. And that was the message that I was given. And so then as an adult, I grew up and that's what I did was I found ways to save, but then I also found ways to spend on things that I loved. And I had no idea what the in-between meant, which is what we talk about on the show in terms of building wealth and investing and sort of this next step. Like I was never taught the next step. It's like, okay, you save so that you can spend on the things that you love. And then it's just like this repeating cycle and you just stay stuck where you are. (laughs) Never really grow. I always tell my kids this. I'm like, if you make $50 a week and or whatever it is, you can only save like $25 a week. Like that's all you'll ever have. It will never grow into more than that. And so the investing piece was what I was missing. But yes, it was an interesting time. And it wasn't until I met my husband, as I mentioned on the show, that I was actually trying to get approved to buy my first home on my own. And I couldn't get approved because I had all this credit card debt and I had a fancy car and I had very little savings. I guess it was at one of those cycles in my life where I didn't have a lot of savings. And he was like, oh, well, I'm going to go rent a room or whatever. And I was like, rent a room? Like, why don't... (laughs) started talking. And I said, why don't you go and try to get approved for a loan? You by yourself on your own. This is, we were not really together. We were kind of more friends at this point. And he was like, I said, there's no penalty. You know, you just get other than a little ding on your credit for checking or getting approved for a mortgage. And he goes out and gets approved right away. 
and sales right through. Yeah. For like a huge loan, much bigger than what I was approved for. And I was like, Mm. and for me, it was like that light bulb moment. And I remember the lender telling me like, if you want to get approved, you got to get rid of all that credit card debt. You got to get rid of that car and you got to have savings. And that was like over 15 years ago now and started my journey on all of the things that we all know, everyone who knows me now as like investing in all these things. But yeah, that's where it started. To the listener, if Julie Lamb can do it and get to this incredible place now, you can do it too. And it so much mirrors the journey of our guest today as well. Allison Baggerly, she's the founder of the Inspired Budget Inner Circle. She's also a podcaster, an author, and a money coach. And on the show, she talks about her journey which sounds very similar to the one that you went through where she had this aha moment where she realized, oh my gosh, we're behind this mountain of debt, she and her husband, and they were pregnant with their first son at the time. And they really had to make a lot of life changes, which she talks about on the show in order to then pay off that debt. And then that catapulted her into the money nerd, so to speak, that she is now where she talks to everybody about how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to save money and how to invest as well. Yeah. It's interesting at the end of the show, she brought up something that I think many women struggle with, but rarely talk about. And I thought it was really interesting. It's not necessarily related to investing and finance, but it is related in the sense that we all have ways that we make money or earn money, whatever way that is. And then we also have other obligations in our life, like kids and a spouse and yourself, finding time for yourself. And she had mentioned that something that she's trying to be intentional with is creating boundaries in her life. And that's something that I'm working on too. And it's so hard. And the part at the end, you guys get to the end because it was really funny. Annie and I have mastered this ability to read a book with our kids at night and solve business problems in our mind while we are reading the book with our kids. Yes. Um, it was just like at the end of the show, she was saying that how that's hard for her too, is to, mm-hmm. to shut off the brain mm-hmm. from the very thing that gives life to your family. I mean, not life, but like financial stability in all of yeah. our roles as powerful breadwinners in the family. And so it was just interesting how we talked about it at the very end of the show, but Yeah. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you're never off the clock. You're always thinking about new ways that you can grow the business, new things you can try. And you know that that's why I have shower thoughts. You're doing something, but your mind is free to wander. Same reading bedtime stories. You ask me one question about the story. I have no idea what the story is about, but I'm solving big problems up here. (laughs) So funny. But anyway, before we get into the episode today, for any listeners out there who are new to the world of real estate investing, and in particular, real estate syndications or group investments, which is what we specialize in at Good Egg Investments, we invite you to get a free hardcover copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good, and we'll cover all the ins and outs of how to get started with passive real estate investing. So you get all the benefits of investing in real estate with none of the hassles of being a landlord. Just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. And one more thing is that if you are currently looking to invest in an opportunity as of this recording, we do have an open offering. It's called Good Egg Wealth Fund 
two Good Egg Wealth Fund. One is thriving and doing very well. And so we've recently launched Good Egg Wealth Fund two, and we have our first acquisition in the fund currently under contract with many more exciting things to come. And so to invest alongside us or to learn more about that opportunity, go to goodegginvestments.com slash deals. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Allison Baggerly. Allison, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing so well, and I'm so excited to be here to talk to you today just about, I mean, life and money. Life and money. That's it. Life and money. It's so pervasive through everything. We are thrilled to have you here today. And as a former teacher myself, I have the utmost respect for others who are or have been teachers before. As you know, it's a career that requires so much commitment and dedication and heart, really. And so before we dive into everything you're doing these days, start by sharing a bit more about your experience as a teacher, what did you teach and how did you eventually kind of marry that together with your passion for personal finance? I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing today. That was never on my radar. I went through high school and I thought, okay, I guess I'll be a teacher. That sounds good. That sounds noble. That sounds... I don't mind children. I enjoy talking to people. I'll be a teacher. And I admired some of my teachers. I went into college as an elementary education background. And I remember my last semester of college, I'm in my student teaching where you are just... You don't go to college classes anymore. You're just in the classroom supporting a teacher and practicing teaching. And I remember thinking, I don't think I want to do this, but I've already committed four years of my life. I've already gone into so much debt. This is it. This is my choice. And this is where I'm going to find myself. And I moved forward. I taught third grade, fourth grade. I ended up in fifth grade, which was my personal favorite grade. I love that kind of awkward age where they're moving into (laughs) middle school. They're very fun. And I was really good at teaching. I mean, I had a skill set for it. I had a talent for it. I was able to connect with my students. I'm a very empathetic person. I understand where people get confused or my students would get confused in terms of understanding concepts. And I'm really good at teaching. But... There were times when I would just start searching for other jobs because I just wasn't sure if this was it. While all of that's happening, my husband and I ended up getting married. We got pregnant on our honeymoon and we found ourselves in so much debt that we couldn't actually make daycare payments. When we sat down to figure out how much daycare would cost, he's a teacher, I'm a teacher. We had six figures of debt. We realized if things continue on this trajectory, by the time our son is born, there will not be any money to be able to send him to daycare, much less one of us leave our jobs. So that's whenever we started figuring out how to manage our money different. Our parents never really talked about money with us because they were learning it as they went along. And I don't fault them for that at all. But we found ourselves just on this debt-free journey, on this budgeting journey. And I love spending money. So I remember thinking okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it once and I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to budget again after this. I'm not going to care about money. I just need to get to this one goal of becoming debt-free and then I'm done. 
I'm done with finances. And what surprised the plot twist, the shock that no one saw coming was that during this long, lengthy process of over four years, because we were two teachers, so we weren't making a high income. During that four years, I fell in love with the peace of mind, the control I felt, and just the satisfaction of knowing that I was doing something that was better for our family when it came to budgeting and paying off debt, working on our money. And so when we were done and we'd reached our goal, we became debt-free, we paid off all that debt. I thought, I'm not done talking about this. This passion didn't go away. I thought it would fade and it didn't. And that's when I realized, what if this is the thing? What if this is the missing puzzle piece that I've been looking for in my career? And I have this passion and I could kind of marry them together, take my skill set and talent of teaching and my love for finances, my new love for finances, and put them together to teach adults who are in my shoes how to manage their money better. Isn't that great when some of life's greatest challenges turn it like a plot twist, like you said, yeah. and become your greatest gifts and opportunities? Yes. That is, yes. As I'm listening to you tell your story, it's reminding me of so much of my story as well. When mm-hmm. I was teaching, it was, I loved being in the classroom, but same, you know, there was something about the bureaucracy of it mm-hmm. all that I was like, I just can't have the impact that I want to have mm-hmm. here. Exactly. And when I came across real estate and personal finance and mm-hmm. talking to people about money, it was just this light bulb moment as it sounds like you've experienced because not only did maybe your parents not teach you about money, my parents gave me all kinds of weird lessons about money. (laughs) Other people have conflicted relationships with money. And so to the extent that you can bring your teaching skills into Mm -hmm. such a, a world where people have so many misunderstandings and misgivings and complicated relationships, I mean, clearly you've made such a huge impact through that. I'm curious curious at the beginning of your journey, when you first realized this and you and your husband sat down and you were like, this is going to be our goal. What were some of the life changes that you had to make at that point in order to then pay off your debt within Mm -hmm. the four years that you did? I was thinking about this the other day because I feel like my husband and I very much hit this rock bottom moment. I feel like we hit this all or nothing space in our life. And I was starting to think, do we have to hit this rock bottom moment to make change? And I had to hit a rock bottom moment. But what if people didn't have to do that? Like, what if the annoying things along the way, the bills that might be paid one day late because they just need to wait for their paycheck to come through or the car payments, like what if that was enough for change? Because for me, it wasn't. I hit rock bottom and we were at a point where if we wanted to do something different, we had to do a complete overhaul of our life and our money and our spending, which is really hard, really hard. And why I think that in other people that might not have stuck doing these massive overhauls with your money can lead to really quick burnout. But for us, it was a matter of having a child coming. We had this deadline of nine months. And the goal was really to free up that cash flow. Honestly, if it had been for me, would I have done it if it was just for my own personal gain and not because I had a child to take care of? I think I would have given up because the things that we had to sacrifice were things that we were used to, conveniences. We canceled gym memberships. I mean, I was pregnant. I 
wasn't working out. We started eating at home more. We had actually stupidly purchased like this timeshare trial on our honeymoon. And that was $4,000 out the window. We never used it. We didn't travel. We just Those really... timeshares, cut- they get I know. You. I know. It was one of my <laughs> stupidest money decisions I've ever made. But regardless, doesn't define me who I... I don't believe our mistakes or our choices define us as who we are as people. So thank goodness, right? But we gave up a lot and we changed just the way we saw consumption in general and our money. And we saw the impact. But I think that it was easier for us because we had this timeline. We had this physical change happening in our life and in my body and this baby coming. And we knew we couldn't rely on our parents. We couldn't rely on anyone else. I didn't have a credit card because I couldn't get one because my credit score was so low. So we couldn't even rely on debt to save us because we had too much debt. So it had to come down to change in our actions. Okay. So after that four years, so you had paid off debt, which is a huge Mm -hmm. accomplishment. Clearly you learned so much Mm -hmm. during this journey and you completely shifted your life. And what a welcome surprise that at the end of the four years, you weren't like, yep, done with that, never doing that again. (laughs) But you had developed, it sounds like this new passion. Mm -hmm. And so tell us what happened next in the story. Where did you go with that? How did you then create what you've created now and reach out to the masses essentially? Yes. So when we finished that final payment, I remember just feeling this sense of deep relief. And we went on probably like two months of just spending money like crazy because we were sending an extra $2,000 a month to debt. So we were just spending the $2,000. Finally, we were like, okay, no, let's pull it back together. This isn't just a free for all now. And we really worked on saving and investing. And if I could go back and change it, I would start investing way sooner, but we can't go back and change things. You learn and you can change your mind as you go. But that feeling of control and wanting to save and wanting to invest and just wanting to be very intentional with my money, it didn't go away. And my passion didn't go away. And I could tell I was annoying people with talking about it. And one day I was visiting our family every Easter, all of my cousins, my first cousins, we bring all of our family together, our children to my grandma's house. And we have this Easter celebration with the crawfish boil in Louisiana. And every year I would show up and I would talk about the same thing, just the progress we were making, how I love budgeting. And one year, my cousin-in-law, Janet, or that next year, I was talking about it. And she said, Allison, shut up. And I was like, Janet, what? And she was like, no, you did not. No, I know. (laughs) She was like, no offense, but you come here every year telling us the same thing. You say the same message. You want to talk about the same thing. But the problem is you're talking to the people who don't need to hear it. There are so many other people out there who need to hear this message and you're coming back to us. It's time that you spread this message. You share your story. You create something to share with others. And I thought, is that even possible? I mean, I had no idea. And mm. this was back in 2017. I had been listening to podcasts like Farnoosh Tarabi, but I thought, well, I don't have the experience. I don't have the knowledge. And she was like, yes, you do. Like you could literally help someone who was in your shoes. And so two weeks later, I bought the domain name Inspired Budget and I started just blogging and I had an Instagram 
profile and I was just sharing content and it just built naturally, slowly over time. I think that so many people these days, I feel like they go viral really fast and they build this like massive business overnight. That is not inspired budget. That's not my business. It took time and effort and it was really hard. I was able to leave my job after two years of doing both. And that was really hard on my family. I mean, it was awful those first two years of business, running my business and doing a job full time. It was terrible. We've definitely been there. <laughs> Lots of working around the clock, waking up before Oops. the kids are up and then working after they're in bed. Mm-hmm. So we've definitely been there too. Yeah, I was just going to say that I remember those days myself when I was working full-time and ran a business before Annie and I partnered up that's very similar to what we were doing or what we are doing. And I did that for a year. And my Mm -hmm. kids at the time were, I think, like three, two, and newborn. And it was a lot. Mm -hmm. It was a full-time job. So I totally understand that pain that you feel and congratulate you for making it out of the rat race, so to speak, or getting out of that chaotic time in your life when you're trying to juggle all these different things. And I assume at that time, you already had your son at the time when you were working and starting. Yes. And you have Mm -hmm. two kids now. Yes. I have two kids. And I remember this very pivotal moment in my career, really where I had to ask myself, I was almost ready to quit doing this. I had just gone to a conference and I was working early in the morning, working late at night, working every single weekend. And I had two children at home, a marriage that was holding on by a thread because I was neglecting everything. I couldn't do it all. And I remember I was walking out of a grocery store with my son, my oldest son, and he was holding my hand. And as I was, we were walking out the doors to go back to the car, he said, Mommy, why do you have to work all the time? Like, why can't you spend time with me? And my heart just broke because I thought, Am I screwing everything up? Am I missing out on what I was? And I was, I was missing out. And I own that. I own my mistakes. I own that. I let my business become this thing that I was chasing after to, my family's benefit, but also oddly in a plot twist to their detriment. And so I had this moment where I realized that night, I remember putting him to bed and I went back to the little desk in the corner of our primary bedroom, working late into the night. And I thought, is this worth it? It really is it. Is it really worth it? At that time, I said, okay, I have to decide. I need either need to do this and like forge ahead and give myself six months or I need to let this go because it's not worth my family. It's not worth giving that up. And within, I think, maybe four months of that, my husband and I decided, okay, by March, we said, you're not going back to teaching next year. Finish out this school year and then be done. And so that was a big decision and a very risky decision at that as well. But a decision that needed to be made one way or the other, I needed to make a decision. Yeah. Well, it's awesome that you made that decision because sometimes it's in those moments of decision that your whole life changes. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I want to transition a little bit and talk about budgeting and building wealth. And the moment that you said, you said it a little bit ago that you wish you had started investing earlier. How did that come about for you? Your story that you described reminds me so much of my situation. When I was in my twenties, it was like spend, 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 Mm -hmm. back the credit cards up. No idea. Didn't understand like how to use a credit card and met my husband who was the complete opposite, had all kinds of money saved was very like religious 
paying off his credit cards. And then we had this light bulb moment of like, wow, I need to be like you. You got (laughs) a big loan for a house and I couldn't do it because I had a fancy car. And it was just this moment for me of like, I need same, like I need to start saving and investing. And then I never stopped. And it's, I've been on this journey for the last, I don't know, 15 years with him of like saving and investing. So tell us what was that like for you to have that light bulb moment? What was like the first thing that you did to start investing? For me, it was like, get out there and talk with a personal financial advisor, but that wasn't the path. And that took me probably down another, derailed me for another seven to 10 years until I found everything that we do now. But what did that path look like for you? And what advice do you have for people who might be on at that point where we were, where we were like, oh my gosh, I need to start saving and investing. What do you do? What does that look like? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you asked this because if I could go back, I would do things different. I mean, there's always things we could do different in our life. And I don't fault myself for that. But I think that sometimes there's only so much we can learn without becoming incredibly overwhelmed. There's only so many habits we can change before we just want to give up and stop and just go back to something that we were doing before. And so for me, when I was learning how to budget and honestly, how to control my spending, because I'm a spender, I love spending money. I get that dopamine hit. I enjoy it. Like I really do have to very much work on my self-discipline with money. And during that four and a half years, that was my work, working on having the self-discipline, creating the peace of mind, creating those positive habits working on a goal and seeing that I can get there, even though the world and everyone in my family and friends thought we were crazy for what we were doing, which maybe we were, but whatever. We were happy together, being crazy together. And so when we paid off debt, it was this, oh my gosh, what's next? And I immediately knew investing. Now, my husband and I, we're teachers. So he has a pension. He's still a teacher. I had a pension that I've since rolled over into an IRA, but investing was never something that we thought about because we always thought, well, we'll have a pension. Like they take care of teachers, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) not as much as they need to be taking care of teachers or people with pensions like this. So I immediately felt overwhelmed. I felt dumb. I felt unaware. I felt this, oh my gosh, it's, I'm not smart enough. I'm not ready to learn about this. It's too confusing. And so we did exactly what you did. We met with a financial advisor and they assured us, oh no, we've got these really great mutual funds and we only take 1.7%. That's so small, that 1.7%. And we happily maxed out to Roth IRAs for about two years before I said, wait a minute, something's not right. And we started learning about investing. We read books. We learned that, okay, (laughs) 1.7% is a lot. And if we were invested in index funds. And so we ended up breaking up with our financial advisor, moving all of the money over into an IRA and our own IRA that we can control, selling all of those mutual funds and just investing in low-cost index funds. And it gave us the power because we felt like, okay, we know what to do. We know exactly what's going to work for us. And it's not as hard as everyone makes it seem. It's not. If you have someone that can break it down for you in a way that makes sense, kind of like teach me like I'm in kindergarten type thing. When you break it down to that, we don't have to know the everyday person doesn't have to know every single minute detail and the complexities that come along with investing. We'll get back to our conversation with Allison in just a minute. 
Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Allison Baggerly. So what book did you read? Or maybe what were some of those books? Because mm-hmm. for me, like, I didn't know that. And I got the same speech, mutual funds, <laughs> like, and then I was just like, even remember in my mind, leaving that meeting and telling my husband something, this isn't right. Like, there's people mm-hmm. out there who find a way to retire early. And I even said that to like the financial Mm -hmm. advisor. And he's like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. He's like, do a mutual fund, do stocks. And I'm like, but the path to retirement is like 30 plus years Mm -hmm. path. Like that doesn't make any sense. So how did you immediately know that investing was a thing? And then, and then like teach me like kindergarten style, what books did you read? Like how did, like, what was it? Cause maybe somebody's like listening and they're like, I need to learn on that level. What Mm-hmm. about that. So I knew about investing and that it was important and everything because I had been consuming during our budgeting and debt-free journey. I would get into times in my life when I was like, this isn't worth it. You know, like I'm in this slump and I knew what to do. And that when I was in that slump to pull myself out of that, and that was to consume content that encouraged me. So I was listening to Farnoosh Tarabi's podcast, So Money. I was reading online. I wasn't necessarily reading very targeted content to investing, but just overall positive money management. And so I knew the importance of it. I just didn't know the how-to, the steps behind it, the layers. The first book we read was The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Gotta love it. And I have so many books on... I have so many books on my shelf right here. I mean, I love that one. I mean, I just even like things like Quit Like a Millionaire, Love oh it. Gosh, what is clever girl bullet bullets can be clever girl finance? She has one that is specific to investing, and it was first doing that, and then it was okay getting into a brokerage and reading, even just like reading articles on the brokerage's website. So on Vanguard's website, I would read their like almost like tutorials 
how uh-huh. it works because they do a good job of breaking that down and going on to Investopedia. If there was a term I didn't understand, I'd go to Investopedia and I would read articles there. Just being aware of questions that were coming into my mind. And in the past, I would say, oh, I'm going to save that for later. Let me file that question aside. We're going to put it away and we're going to think about that later. And I stopped doing that. I started taking ownership over the questions that I that were filtering in my mind. And instead of saving it and filing it away for later, I said, let me look at it now. Let me look this up now. And then I allowed myself to ask more questions as I learned. Yeah. So it's almost like you were being like super intentional mm-hmm. about this like mission to like find mm-hmm. a way to invest and build your wealth and all of these things. And mm-hmm. yeah, I want to say though, I was intentional, but not in an overwhelming way. Yeah, I feel like some people think that if I'm going to go on this journey or if I'm going to start investing, I have to throw myself into it. I think about it when I eat and I sleep and when I'm talking to others and I have to read around the clock and I have to take a thousand courses. I don't think it's like that. It was just more of an intentional everyday to just ask myself that question and be willing to read literally just one piece of information on it. One chapter, one short article, and that's it. And then allow that to solidify and grow over time. Yeah. It's so funny that you said that because I was literally just about to say that one of the best ways to that I find whenever I'm like, want to be intentional about something, but same, it becomes too overwhelming. If you think like, oh my gosh, this is become my life. And like, it has to consume me in a corner of my life and everything that I do. But if you have like one hour a week that you can Mm -hmm. find for two hours, like one hour on a Monday and another hour on a Thursday afternoon that you can time block. And this becomes your intentional time to like research and ask the Mm -hmm. questions that this can really help move the needle for you in a positive way. And it doesn't need to consume your life. It's like, exactly. No. So it's so funny. We were just kind of on that same path, thinking of the same thing. One last thing before we move on to the last part of our show, I wanted to ask, I know that you have sort of this step-by-step process to get people outside of living from paycheck to paycheck, which is so many of people in America that are doing that. I know certainly at one point in my life, I was definitely living paycheck Mm -hmm. to paycheck as well and didn't even think twice about it. Didn't even know. normal. It was totally normal. And I Mm -hmm. honestly didn't even know how to stop that because it became so much of the normal. And there were so many people around me who were doing the same thing. Give us the step-by-step process to break free from that if anyone's listening and wants to understand how that works. Of course. So first and foremost, I think that there is power in your truth and owning your truth. And that looks like really understanding your numbers. It can be very scary to try to pull up and total up how much debt you have how much you have in savings or how little you have in savings, how much you have invested or how little you have invested. We hide from those numbers because we are afraid that those numbers are a reflection of who we are. And it's not. I mean, it is and it isn't, but we can't give power to that. And so many people avoid their truth. They avoid those financial numbers because it is scary and they're not where they want to be. And I could go on a whole tangent about why over time, especially as millennials, we're not necessarily always where we want to be. But I think the first step is just owning it and knowing your truth, just laying it out all on the table and being honest with yourself, because that's when you can then create a plan that will work. Because if we hide some of it away or we pretend that our student loans don't really exist, then we're not creating a plan that's going to work for all of us and every part of our financial life. So I first say, know your truth. Then I would say, 
figure out a spending plan or a budget that works, that allows you to reach some of the money goals that you've set, whether it is to max out a Roth IRA, whether it is to save for a down payment on your first rental property, or even just pay off debt or pay off a car, save for a car. Find room in your spending plan that will prioritize what is important to you and then cut out what is doesn't matter as much. For me, I'm not big on designer clothes, designer labels, but I am big on conveniences in my life, such as having a housekeeper come by every other week, having a car wash membership that I can run my car through and vacuum it out in no time because I have little kids that make it just a complete utter mess. So figuring out that I don't need some things in my life to make me happy, but I can still reach my goals and spend money on what really brings me peace and joy, which is having someone help me clean my home and having an ability to easily wash my car very quickly, I don't have to have it all. And so how do I create a plan that allows me to do both? And I think that that is where people get stuck because they forget that they can deduct things from their life or they have justified it for so long. And then also obviously increasing your income is a wonderful thing to do. I know that's something that we did over time. And as teachers, I felt very in this mindset of I'm very stuck in my salary. And I know my husband very much believes that. And in some cases it's true, but he could leave teaching and he could get a higher paying job. So I think also looking at the money that you're spending, also the money that you're coming in and just creating a plan with your money that allows you some buffer and some wiggle room. Yeah, it's funny. It's almost, I was thinking last night about how your personal finances and the way you operate your home is very similar to running a small business, right? It's about how do we drive revenue? How do we keep Mm -hmm. our down? How do we create a plan? Like we've got to have a plan for the year, the budget for the year. What do we think we're going to make and how does this work so that we can hit our goals? So it's really interesting. Any small business owners out there, you already know how to do it in your business. Bring it over to your personal life and see how you can budget there and plan for the future and create a little PL for your personal life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move into the last part of our show, the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? So one thing that I am doing is I am committing to the boundaries that I have set around my work and home life. We talked earlier in this episode about how I spent years of my life just only focusing on my job. And it was very detrimental to my marriage. It was detrimental to my family. And I'm thankful that my kids don't remember that time, but I know they felt it. And so what I'm doing is I'm setting boundaries around when I will work, what I will say yes to in my job, and then also what I'm willing to hand off to my employees. So I have hired help. I have a full-time employee and then I have someone else who works 10 to 15 hours a week. And so one thing I'm committing to doing is letting go of the tasks that even if I might be good at them, I don't have to do them. And that I can say no to different opportunities in my work without sitting there in scarcity mindset saying this opportunity, what if this opportunity never arises again? And allowing myself to say, okay, if I've been presented with it once and it's not the right time, that doesn't mean that it's gone forever. I can do this again at a time whenever it better suits me and my needs and my family. I think as women, what you're doing is very difficult. So oh, I, yes. 
I commend you. <laughs> That's why it's something I've been working on for years and yeah. I will continue to work on it. Yes. Yes. This is something Annie and I have been talking about and it's something that, man, it's hard. It is so hard. Um, you know what? I wonder, I wonder if you guys can relate to this. The other day I was sitting with my husband and I said, I'm getting worried that I'm working too much. And he said, what? I said, I just feel like I'm working all the time and I don't want the kids to only see me working. Like they know I own my own business. They know I'm the boss and they know that I'm the breadwinner. They know all these things. I want them to see the woman as the breadwinner and business owner and success. And I said, I think I'm just working too much. I feel like they constantly see me working. And he's like, I don't think they do. And I realized at that moment, it's not that they see me working. It's that I'm always thinking about work. And so when I'm in conversation, my mind goes there. And now it's a matter of how can I turn my mind off or tell myself, oh, just write it down and come to this later. So that way I'm not always thinking about work. And that is so much harder than just closing my laptop Very or hard. turning off my computer and saying, okay, I'm done for the day. Oh, and yeah. that's really what like my battle is and what my goal is, is to work on that. Oh yeah. Okay. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Never <laughs> happened to me. I can you shut it off like that. <laughs> no, Annie and I have gotten really good at reading stories at night and like you just read. Like you're reading yeah, you, you, and it's like solving a problem. Yes. Work, yes. You're reading the words on the paper. <laughs> yes. Or like it's like, oh, that that triggers this one thing I'm talking about with my kid and what mm-hmm. he did in math class is triggering an idea of content I can create. And it's like, yeah. no, I don't yeah. always have to be on this yeah. like treadmill of coming up with new ideas, even though I'm the creative mind behind the business. And so it's how do I turn that side of my brain off willingly whenever that's the side of my brain that makes me successful? Right. It's me telling myself, you have to stop doing this, even though this is the thing that makes you a success. And that is hard to do because I like doing it. I like thinking about it, but then it can be overwhelming. I'm trying to read more fiction books and that sometimes helps, but sometimes doesn't. Well, when you find a way to cross this road successfully, let us know. I will. Some help in this department too. You know what you said earlier about the scarcity mindset around an opportunity Mm -hmm. arising again? Yes. I've applied that to this exact problem because so what I do is when something like a random reminder or challenge pops up Mm -hmm. at night, I'm like, you know what? If this is important enough, I can put it down and it'll come back again. And so I've tried that. Sometimes it works. It's not a hundred percent, but sometimes that helps me. It reminded me of what you had said. So what I do is I either text myself my thought or I make Uh a voice memo. And then I'm like, this can wait till tomorrow. This can wait until I'm in my designated work time. Yeah. That's love it. I love it. All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that will make an impact in others' lives right now? I think that everyone should have a separate spending account. Spoken as a spender who loves to spend money and actually something I don't, I don't actually have this, but my husband does. So my husband is actually a contractor for Inspired Budget. He edits my podcast and he takes the money that he earns and he has a separate, completely separate checking account in an online bank and his money goes in there every month on the first of the month. And he loves having that separate spending money that doesn't come out of our 
account that pays for bills. It is his money to do what he wants. He'll take us to dinner sometimes. He'll do different things. I don't know. He has fun with it. And I think that that has been so freeing for him to spend without guilt. And so I should probably do this for myself as well. But whatever you want to spend on fun or extra, open up a completely separate account with a separate debit card and let that be it. That way, you know you have your money left in your other account, your main account to cover your bills and your necessary expenses. And you have this almost limit this boundary. It's a, it's a boundary. It's setting boundaries for that spending money. So that way you don't go overboard and spend money that you should be putting towards debt, or you should be putting towards your electricity bill or investing anything like that. I just want to say that I love that the tables have turned and that you're giving your husband a spending account. <laughs> like we are in a different time right now. I know. It's crazy. Then I think I should do this for myself. But then I'm like, oh, well, I don't mind tracking the expenses. I've done a lot better at just having self-discipline. Yeah. Really self-discipline with my money and with my spending. And then honestly, valuing experiences over things. And so I'm more likely to like book a vacation <laughs> than go buy some new decor item for our home. So it makes it a little bit easier to not spend so much. Yeah. I love it. All right. Last question is life and money in the world. What is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? I thought about this because I saw this question and I thought, do I want to give the, like, I'm helping women pay off debt. And then I thought, no, I am raising two boys, two people that will grow up to be men in this world. And I am doing my best and Boy, do I fail and I make mistakes, but I'm doing my very best to raise and put out into this world two men that respect women, that celebrate a woman's success, that see women as very capable and as CEOs and business owners and to not be intimidated by women and to not push women down because of their success, but instead to lift them up and celebrate them. And that's one of the big things that I'm really trying to do inside of the four walls of my home in hopes that they carry that on when they become adults. Preach, sister. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I've got two boys. Julie's got one boy and two girls. And so we are right there mm -hmm. with you. It all starts at home and with the mm -hmm. lessons that you teach within your family, the values that mm -hmm. you instill in them around not only money and finances, Yum. but about how to navigate through life and mm -hmm. how to treat people, how to form those relationships. Mm -hmm. I think it doesn't just happen. I think we have yeah. to be intentional about it. And that's one of yes. the things that I'm trying to do is have those intentional conversations. Let them see us go out and celebrate when mom has a successful business transaction. Women aren't only to be celebrated when they have children or get married or get engaged, that we celebrate mom whenever she signs a book deal and whenever she hits a business milestone. And that is what we do. And I don't know. I really try for us to be intentional about it. 
I'm so glad you brought that up. And I know the listener is going to be super inspired by that and hopefully bring that into their homes as well. So Allison, I know we've only covered the tip of the iceberg. There's <laughs> so much more that you teach your community. So tell everybody if they did want to follow up, learn more about you, mm-hmm. your story and everything that you're teaching, what's the best place that they can go? Of course. Well, I have my own podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, perfect. I have the podcast Inspired Budget Podcast. I'm on Instagram over at Inspired Budget, inspiredbudget.com. And then I have a brand new book coming out in April called Money Made Easy. You can pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And it's a lot of our stories, stories wrapped up in lessons about money. And so it's very fun book. It's not your everyday, just here's how you manage your money. It's very story-driven, which I love. And I think makes it more fun and engaging to read a nonfiction book. Yes. And the stories you've shared here today have been so profound and powerful. And so thank you for being here. Allison Baggerly, author, podcaster, money coach, and founder of the Inspired Budget Inner Circle. Allison, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners and sharing your infinite wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 